Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from Pastor Jay Miller. As we uh, celebrate communion, uh, the Lord has really been speaking to me these last you know, two or three weeks about really diving back into the power of communion. I've been going through a devotional book. And so I was preparing for the day that... The, one of the challenges that I, I think we face is we see things in the world that take place that defy the will of God. I, I think we could all agree that unjust war, the bombing of innocents, killing of innocents is, is outside the will of God. Um, the murdering of babies is, is outside the will of God. The, the anger that's within marriages and the separation of families and the abuse and all that, it's all outside the will of God and it's really easy to get caught up with the things that are outside the will of God because it's right in your face. Instead of us returning back to this place and what I heard the Lord say is that communion is supposed to be the place where you turn your face to His face. Where, where you really get back to this place where you're able to lock eyes with the one who redeemed you, who saved you. To, to, to capture the attention of your heart from and instead of it being distracted and being captured by things of the world, like letting the beauty of who the Father is really capture your heart. I remember the first time I, I met my wife, it captured my heart. Oh, I remember the day we got married almost 23 years ago and the doors to the back of the church opened up and here comes this bride walking down and it captured my heart. Do you know that the joy set before Jesus was you and you captured his heart? He saw you where you would be. He knew where you would live. He knew the challenges you would face. He knew the day and age we would live in. And you brought him joy and you captured his heart and he came in and he says, I want to capture your heart so you have my heart. Communion is this love affair. There's something powerful about communion. There's something about as we receive communion, about being captured by the heart of the Father. And then there's this something about as we partner with that, of how do we capture the heart of the world? There's not a political solution. There's not an economic solution to the challenges of the world. There's only a kingdom solution that may come through the avenues of politics or business or education, but it first begins here. The, the call we have is Matthew 6.33. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. Seek me as your king. There's a psalm. Psalm 78 is an amazing psalm because it's the story of God's people and how you constantly see the people of God see miracles and deliverance and things happen and then they forget and they go back and they sin and they fall away from God and then God's gracious mercy comes back and he does it again and they fall back and it's this, this back and forth thing and Jesus came to end the back and forth thing. But in Psalm 78 it says this, Oh my people, listen to my instructions. Open up your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable and I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories that we've heard and have known. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord and about His power and His mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob, and he gave his instructions to Israel, and he commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children, so that the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children, so each generation should set its hope, so each generation should set its hope anew on God. Not forgetting, let me hear you say, not forgetting not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands, then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. I think it's amazing this. Sin has to do with your heart. It's not about behavior. 
Your behavior follows your heart. But here's what I've learned about our heart. Our remember the most will cause your heart to come into alignment with it, and then your behavior will follow what you remember the most. So if you've gone through circumstances that have been tragic or, or difficult, and what's brought to your mind the most is this remembrance where you dwell upon horrific things, guess what's going to follow you? Horrific things. But when you dwell upon what Jesus has done, who he is, the mighty miracles, even if you've not experienced a miracle, you're not without. If he's done it to one in the body of Christ, he's done it for all in the body of Christ. If he's, he's released a miracle of, of healing or hope, he, it's, it's for you as well. And so what we do is we come into alignment with remembrance of what Jesus has done. This is remembrance, the broken body of Christ. It's not a symbol. I grew up Catholic. And while I might not get totally into all the theology on that end of the spectrum, what I'm telling you is that the Catholics have an understanding of when this becomes the body of Christ. They, they treat this as the Eucharist. They treat this as holy. They treat this as special. They treat this as when I'm having an encounter with this wafer, it's actually an encounter with the body of Jesus. We, we do this in remembrance. It says proclaiming his death until he comes back. That's not remembering that bad things happen to Jesus. That's remembering that the bad things that happen to Jesus sets you free into life. Amen. That's, that's you remembering, that's you declaring, and that body walked out of that grave three days later. That's remembering the death of Jesus that made you alive. When we drink the cup, when we drink the juice, when we drink the wine, it's, it's, it's meant to be something that actually intoxicates you. If we get too religious, we get worried about the word intoxication. But what's intoxication? Something that has a great influence over your mind, your will, your emotions, and your body. You drink wine, you drink a lot of it, you will be influenced by something. But when you drink of the cup of the blood of Jesus and you come underneath the full influence of the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word to you. That by faith you appropriate what that blood unlocks for you. It, 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 Jesus said this, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, listen to this, you can have no part in me. That's a stark contrast to the way communion has been made sometimes. No, unless we get all of his broken body and we drink all of his shed blood, it means it has all influence us, not partial influence. I like the blood of Jesus in this area, but the blood of Jesus that washes my conscience clean, I don't like that one. I want to remember what I used to do. I want to remember the lies that were told to me. I want to remember the lies of judgment against me. I'm going to live in that, but I'm going to let the blood of Jesus get me into heaven. No, it doesn't work that way. The blood of Jesus is total. The totality of Jesus that gets you to heaven is the same thing that brings heaven here to earth and can actually set you free from the lies of the enemy so that you would remember what he's done in a moment of trial. We live in days of trial, but I will just tell you this, we live in days of great miracles. We will see Red Seas part, we will see the multiplication of food, we will see blind eyes open, that's, that's, that's what he does when his kingdom comes. But we have to come into alignment with the fullness of this. So close your eyes just right now where you're at. Prepare your heart to receive him. And if you're in this room right now and you've never made Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, do not take communion right now unless you give your heart to him. It's a holy thing. This is not about obedience or disobedience. This is about transformation. If you're in this room right now or you're watching online and you'd say, I've never experienced complete life transformation because I've never given my life to Jesus. 
now's the time. Now's the moment of your salvation. It says this, if you believe in your heart that the Father raised the Son from the dead and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. But here's the key on this. Even the demons know that he's Lord and tremble because they have not made him their Lord. My question to you right now is if you made Jesus the Lord of your life, So right where you're at, just make a moment of decision. Prepare your heart. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus in, this moment, in this moment, I surrender my life to you. No part of it belongs to me. It all belongs to you. Because you purchased it with your broken body and your shed blood. I bring my life into alignment, life into alignment. with your resurrected body now, with your resurrected body now. Seated, in heaven. seated in heaven. You are my king. You are my king. I, receive your gift of life. I receive your gift of life. I receive your freedom. I receive your, freedom. I receive your, healing. I receive your healing. I receive your hope. I receive your hope. In the same spirit that rose you, I receive that Holy Spirit. I receive that Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Thank you. And the same thing with the cup. When you're ready, you can receive the cup, and we're going to go back into a place of worship. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to three passages of Scripture. Three passages. First one is Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, and put a marker there. Mark chapter 11, put a marker there, so Proverbs 4, Mark chapter 11, we're going to make you do some Bible calisthenics this morning, stretch you a little bit, you know that stretching is one of the healthiest things you can do for your natural body, but it's also true about your soul and about your spirit, you got to learn to be stretched, and then Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 4, keep it open there. So Mark, I'm sorry, so Proverbs 4, Mark 11, and Zechariah chapter 4, keep Zechariah 4 open. Um, I'll probably use a few more scriptures. Somebody said one time, like, you're just flying through scriptures sometime. I said, yes, because in the spirit, I'm throwing darts out there. I'm throwing seed, and we don't need the slow motion seed going, right? You need to let the seed hit your heart, right? Not receive it with your natural mind. You need to receive it with your spirit. Then go back at and ask Holy Spirit. Remember one of the things that it said is when the Holy Spirit comes, he will remind you of everything I've taught you, okay? So the best way to study the word is starting from the very beginning. Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. Holy Spirit, I open my heart and my mind. So I'm understanding what you're telling me in the moment, but also that you're going to continue to bring to remembrance the things that you've planted inside of me. Uh, one of the things you'll probably notice is I will quote a lot of scripture without the addresses because I've got a lot of seed hidden in my heart and it just, it just comes out, okay? And this is the same thing for you guys. It's not because I'm a pastor or a teacher or an apostle or any of that that I'm able to do that. It's because I'm a son of God who has positioned himself to receive the word and let it grow. And it's the same thing for you guys as well, amen? So Proverbs 4, Mark chapter 4, Zechariah 4. So what I want to talk to you about is perseverance. Let me hear you say perseverance. And the area of perseverance specifically is in this area of our faith and our belief systems. We'll deal with a little bit when we go into baseline next week. But there's something about when we're in the moment of trials that it's not necessarily an attack of the enemy. It could be. But it may be a frustrating circumstance. And it causes us, it's like holy sandpaper. It begins to irritate us. To where I'm like, I'm, I, this thing's not working out the way I want it to. It's not, it's, things aren't happening right. I get a little bit frustrated. And we have to learn in this place to persevere in the place of faith. And instead of partnering with declarations that would only reinforce the negative, we get into the place where we actually, we begin to make declarations of his truth that allow us to come through it. 
okay? And so there's something about perseverance that has to do with your declarations. Even in the middle of a trial, you have a mountain in front of you, you have a circumstance that's coming up, and, and the Lord will allow you to go in those places because it's something about pressure that only pressure produces diamonds, I get it that we can synthetically make them now in, in, in chemistry labs, but I mean, that's, not, that's not really a diamond. That's just a counterfeit. But it may have value, but it's, it's not the thing. It, real diamonds come through pressure. It, it comes through friction. It comes through heat. It comes through these things. And so when the Lord says, uh, Jesus is praying, Lord, Father, I ask that you don't bring them out of the world, but instead that you would bring your spirit with them in the world. Leave them in the world so that they can continue to go into the world to, to preach the gospel. But also there's something about, not about our ministry assignment, but there's something about our relational assignment that pressure here allows us to be refined in a place where we really kind of rise up into this place of what beloved identity looks like, what it looks like to be a son, what it looks like to be a person of faith, what it looks like to be somebody who's joyful in all circumstances, what it looks like to be somebody who can bring comfort to those who need comfort. Do you hear what I'm saying? And often we're wanting to avoid the pressure situations because it's uncomfortable. But we have to understand the Holy Spirit is the great comforter. He didn't promise you that you'll always feel comfortable. In fact, I'd, I would be afraid if you always feel comfortable. Because that means you might not be stretched or you might be isolating yourself or you might be hiding away or you might be in denial that God wants to do something inside of your life. Instead, what we have to do is we have to embrace it. Uh, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego comes to mind. They're in this place. They're, they're in, in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's built this statue and says, everyone at a certain time has to bow down and worship the statue. Well, the, the people that had put it, the bug in the ear of Nebuchadnezzar to build the statue were jealous of Daniel, who was one of them, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because the four of those guys carried the favor of the Lord. You know, and they were in a place of captivity. This is not their homeland. Probably many of their family was either killed or turned into slaves, and yet they're in this place, and instead of getting into this place of despair, they embraced this place of pressure and began to pray, began to, to put themselves as, as unto the Lord right where they were at. They opened their hearts. And so these men are actually jealous of them, and so they, they convinced Nebuchadnezzar to build this. And the whole purpose was is so these guys could get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the way because they understood that every time Nebuchadnezzar needed an answer, the only ones that could actually bring a right answer were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why? Because they were Hebrew boys that were in love with, with Yahweh in this relationship. And so, of course, they knew where to find them because they had a pattern of what? Of praying. They knew, they knew that these men would not bow their knee to a false image or idol. And so they go and they find them and bring them before. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar, was, he's lost. Like, it's like Putin. Why are we surprised he does evil things? Because he's lost, probably influenced by a demonic spirit. And so he goes into this fit of rage and he yells at him like, why aren't you doing this? Why don't you bow down? And they say, hey, look, sorry, king. We got one king, one God. We'll serve you because he's placed us here, but we're not going to bow down to that statue. And here's what's going to happen. He goes, well, I've got this furnace, and I'm going to toss you guys into the furnace. It was so hot you got into proximity, you would begin to melt. That's how hot it was. And they go, we really don't care. You can stoke that fire as hot as you want to get. You throw us in there. Our God will rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we will still not bow down because we'll win. I think it's this perfect, perfect illustration a perfect of perseverance in the face of adversity, in this face of make a declaration. What, what was he wanting them to do? Declare with your mouth and bow with your heart to a false idol or false god. It was about the declaration. How was one saved? We just did it earlier. You believe in your heart that the Father raised the Son from the grave, and then the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus is Lord. This declaration of the heart, he's trying to bring him into alignment. And they're like, I can't do that because my heart is captured by Yahweh. And say, look, he's going to rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we're still not bowing down. And so what ends up happening, they get tossed in there. The guards that threw them in there burned up like this. 
How'd you like to be one of those guards? Like, come on, king, what's up? Because when you hang around even the proximity of false idols, if you're not willing to take a stand, you will be burned up. If the fear of man can keep you from entering into what God has for you. And so how does go along to get along, right? Because he's going to, no, I'm going to take a stand. And, and so they get in there and then all of a sudden there's the fourth man in the fire. We believe that's the pre-incarnate Jesus that's standing. They come out, obviously they're rescued. They don't even smell like smoke. It's a, it's a pretty amazing thing. And what I want you to do is we need to begin to learn how to persevere in the middle of this and not allow our hearts, this is why it says guard your heart above all else, not allow our hearts to come into alignment with a lie and make inner vows, make false agreements, any of these types of things because the overflow of the heart, you begin to make declarations that are not true. Have you ever been in a circumstance where all of a sudden it got difficult in that moment and the thought that came into your head is we're not going to make it? It's not the thought that comes into your head that's the sin. Can we all be honest? Because everybody in this room, you ever been in a place where the thought entered your head, I'm not going to make it out of this, or I don't see the way through this. Or like, all of a sudden you have that thought of hopelessness. That's not the sign of the sin. Agreeing with it and declaring it is. Because it's the power of your tongue that creates life and death. It's, it's, this is what brings you into alignment with it. And so when I have this thought of like, man, I'm not going to make it. Wait a minute, that's not my thought. This is lying statue. This is lying idol. This is this lying hurt that I had years ago. They had this thing happened to me, and they told this about me. I, I, at some point, I'm expecting YouTube is going to probably kick us off um, because I'm not afraid to say the fact that whether it's for transgender or gender identity or, or homosexuality or any of the things out there is all a perversion of the true identity that God has for trying to bring us out. Now, here's the thing. I've got gay friends that have talked to and said, hey, I don't agree with you. I'll love you all day long, but you're, you're missing who God made you to be. You're being presented with a false idol, and you're coming into agreement with a false idea. But let me tell you the God who made you. You're never going to find satisfaction in this place. The only way you'll find satisfaction is come into alignment with what is true you're a man. You're a woman. You were created for love. You were created, yes, all these different things. And, and so, so the, the world is constantly, and the enemy is constantly trying to get us into counterfeits and declaring agreement with counterfeits. The religious church will do this. We'll make it all about behavior, and we'll turn righteousness into, well, they're the enemy. Or Remember, our battle's not against flesh and blood. So we'll make powerful declarations of, well, you're just going to burn in hell and you're going and, and to be separated. Da, 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 da. I'm going to turn my back on you. That's not words of life either. either. What are we called to do? Stand in a place and learn how in this moment of adversity, the thought's coming in. What is the thought? Take it obedience to Jesus. Now, what's Jesus' thought? How do I declare that? Just for a moment, quiet your mind. Close your eyes. Going through the air right now are things you cannot see, and you might not actually hear it with your audible physical ear. But there's radio signals, there's cell phone signals. Even the microphone I'm using is operating out of signals going back and forth between the mic and the receiver. And what you have to learn is to discern what is true. What's the source? So once you ask this question, Holy Spirit, who do you say that I am? This is important. In that place, if the voice began to say, well, you're a loser. You're a disappointment. That was not the voice of God. Even if you're lost in the room right now, the Father doesn't speak to you that way. 
He's saying, that's not who I made you to be. Once you discover who I made you to be, come to me. Turn your heart and mind to me. So Holy Spirit, we just speak the truth of your word right now. I silence the voice of the enemy. You said that your sheep know your voice and will not follow the voice of another. Holy Spirit, give us a discernment. Give us understanding of what is your voice and what's other voices. So in the moment, we can discern and come into agreement with your voice and your voice alone. And we just declare this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just tell you the visual I saw all of a sudden when I began to talk about those things specifically. I saw these waves begin to come into the room in the spirit, and it almost had a sickly green thing to it. It's almost like I got kind of a mist. Because the enemy was going to try to make people afraid. He was going to try to make confusion. He was going to try to get people to, to actually uh, go, oh, I don't know if I, if I want to deal with this. And so in the moment you do is you pause, you take authority over it, and you understand what it is. And here's why I'm telling you this. It's the same thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego dealt with. Guaranteeing that moment, they're looking, and the thought came in their head, just bow down. Certainly, Yahweh knows that you really don't mean it. And I think they had to face that and go, yeah, he knows our heart, but we still will not come into alignment. We will not go along to get along. We're going to go along with him, and in that place we find grace. So there's perseverance and faith and belief. There's through our words and our belief system, there's declarations. Open up to Zechariah 4, and I just want to kind of give you some visual pictures here. Y'all okay? It's like it got real in here. Real awkward. Trust me, I can sense in the spirit. Do this, go. Shake it off. Shake it off. Who's that? What's the, the goofy singer? Taylor Swift. I'm sorry. I know that was a bad declaration. She, she's got a beautiful voice. She's just misguided. But it's a good declaration. Shake it off. All right, let's get to the Bible. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 1. Then the angel who had been talking with me returned and woke me up as though I had been asleep. What do you see now, he asked. And I answered, this is Zechariah the prophet speaking. I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl of oil on top of it. Around the bowl are seven lamps, each having seven spouts in wicks. Verse 3. And I see two olive trees, one on each side of the bowl. Now, just for context real quick, these two olive trees, trees are often a type and shadow of humanity, a person. Uh, when Jesus healed the blind man, uh, the first thing he did was he says, he plays his hands on his eyes. He says, okay, what do you see? And he says, I see men walking around like trees. He laid his hands on his eyes again, and he says, now what do you see? Oh, I see you. So a lot of people say, well, see, Jesus even had to pray twice because he missed it the first time. No, he didn't. He opened his spiritual eyes first before he opened his natural eyes. First the spiritual, then you'll be able to discern the natural realm, okay? So when you're looking at these two olive trees, one, there was two men that were helping, were called to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem following the Babylonian exile. One was Zerubbabel, who was the governor of, of, the, the, of that province, and then there was Joshua, who was the high priest. Obviously not Moses' Joshua, another Joshua, okay? And so what they represent in this is Zerubbabel represents royal governmental authority, Okay, royal governmental authority, and Joshua represents the royal high priest, okay, the ability to be able to minister before the Lord and to minister for other people. And what I want you to pick up on is through Jesus, Peter says this, you are a royal priesthood. Once you were people without a name or an identity, but now you're a, you're a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. And so the way that we're called to step into alignment of declaration is, is we, you have to understand, even if you're declaring wrong things, lies and, and, uh, and half-truths, you're still doing it from royal governmental authority that has the ability to shift an atmosphere, and you're doing it as a priest 
unto the Lord. So even when we, this is why your tongue has so much power, because who God has made you to be through Jesus is a royal priest who has governmental authority and has the ability and a sense to be able to bring sacrifice and cleanse from sins, okay? So let's look at this. And I see two olive trees, one, uh, one on each side of the bowl. Then I asked the angel, what are these, my Lord? What do they mean? Well, don't you know, the angel said? No, my Lord, I replied. Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. Let me hear you say, says to Zerubbabel. This is the New Living Translation. Most of the other translations would be, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, okay? This is what he says. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The translation I learned in it says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, okay? Verse 7. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. Notice that he, he specifically talks to the one who has royal governmental authority, who's given, he's a governing this area, but he's also called to rebuild the house of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. This is what Zerubbabel was sent to do. He's rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah would come later and rebuild the wall around the city, but the Lord, before he rebuilt the wall of the city, he rebuilt the house of the Lord. This place of worship. So before you do all these things, first start with establishing within you, I am the temple of the Lord. I am the house of God. If I am a born-again believer, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Lord first, why do you want to come to baseline? Because the Lord first wants to establish within you your heart, your mind, your will, your emotions. Not only do you have royal authority, but you are the place of royal authority. You hear what I'm saying? And so he's, he's talking specifically to Zerubbabel. Not even a mighty mountain will stand in his way. It will become a level plain before him. When Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, may God bless it, may God bless it. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it. Let me hear you say he will complete it. What's interesting about this is in the context of a new covenant, Jesus said, it is finished. So there's nothing left to be completed on God's side of the equation. What's on our side of the equation? Agreement. You can't make it happen, but you can stop it from happening. By your agreement. By the beliefs in your heart. How do you walk in the fullness of who God has made you to be? How do you become a royal priesthood? Not about how holy you act, but how much do you surrender your heart? Which means you have to be stretched. You have to be willing in a place of pressure to go, man, this is causing things to come out of me that are not according to him. I've been in pressure situations. Even this weekend, I was in a situation, I was getting a little frustrated with something, and I'm just like, I'm a... I, I wanted to drop a, you know, a few choice words in, in a situation. And the Lord goes, what are you preaching this weekend? I'm like, perseverance. So, so what did I do? You're right. Huh, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Oh, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I just get to sit and come in agreement with that. I don't have to wrestle with anything. I don't have to make it bend to my will. No, I bend my will to his will. He's the one that laid the foundation of this temple. He will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. Do not despise small beginnings. Here's the thing. Often the reason we don't persevere is we despise the small beginning of a big thing. When you're working out and you have a goal and it's fun where you're like, yeah, I'm going to look like this. I'm going to be at the rock and I'm going to go right at the beginning, right? We kind of get to this place like, yeah, that's the idea. And then you get into the gym or you wake up at five in the morning and you lift those first weights. You're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what happens the next morning? You're like, I don't have to say words, right? You'll know that look like. Because we're expecting instantaneous results. We're, we're not willing to say, I'm not going to despise the day of small weights that build up to big weights. 
I'm not going to try to run a marathon my first day out. Okay, I'm going to start around the block. Like, here's the thing. Those are practical, natural things. How do you rebuild your marriage after there's been trust that's been lost? Small things. Inch by inch. Moment by moment. Right? Don't become frustrated. Don't despise the small beginning of the great thing that God wants to do. And so when you come into this life of faith and you're like, man, I just... I slept up, I had that pressure point, and I listened to the wrong voice, and I, and I cursed my, my, my some, somebody out, or I, or I yelled at them, or I've been holding on to bitterness, and like, God, I just missed the mark. It's in that place you don't continue to agree with the enemy. Because the voice can come, yep, you're shameful. Yep, you're messed up. Yep, and you're never going to do it. Everybody else can turn to Jesus, but you're a schmuck. And it's in that place you go, wait a minute, no. Return to the Lord. Reestablish, not by might, not by power, by your spirit. You've already made me whole. And I come into agreement with what is true. Do not despise small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Look what it says. The Lord even rejoices to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. What's a plumb line? When you're building a building like this, a plumb line hangs from the ceiling, and it tells you what is perfectly vertical. There's only room for one plumb line in a building. Otherwise, you have, you have walls, and it may not be noticeable. It may be a half a tick, half a degree off, but you start building around all of a sudden, it's going to affect half a degree in one place, makes a big difference in other places. And so what did he do? He gave Zerubbabel. The governor, the royal priesthood, the plumb line in his hand to determine what was that foundation being built upon and what were the walls going to be look up. Here's what I tell you as a, as a son or a daughter in Christ. If you're born again, say I am. I am. He's put the plumb line in your hand. You know what the plumb line is? Your agreement with his truth. Zerubbabel gets the plans on how to build from the Lord or from an architect. Moses, he goes to heaven, and before he builds the tabernacle here on earth, he sees it, and he gets the plans. Even David was given plans. How does he build it? Here's the point. What am I doing? I'm coming to agreement with what is true. So now I might not despise the day of small beginnings, and we're laying a foundation, and we're putting in the first form, and we're kind of building these things up. But what am I doing with my words? It's going to look like this. It's going to look like this, and that wall is going to be there with this, and that window is going to be there, and this is going to look like this. You begin to cast a vision. You begin to declare not the small thing but the big thing. How do you, do, how do you get to this place where I don't despise small beginnings? I have my eyes on the big thing, and I decree it. Every word that God speaks is true. Every word God speaks is powerful. And when you come into alignment, when Jesus said, let there be light, the Father said, let there be light, what happened? When he spoke planet, what happened? A planet was formed. Words are so powerful. Governmental, royal authority to establish. And he says, in your heart, there's a plumb line I've given you, and it's your agreement. And so if you ever feel a half a tick off, it's time to return to the plumb line of what God has said about you. Whenever there's a word that comes and there's a doubt, maybe it's kind of like, well, you know, it causes you to be fearful in a moment. You go, wait a minute, let me pull up the plumb line of God's peace. Nope, that's not true. That's not the word from the Lord. I'm not going to decree that word. I'm going to decree this is the word of the Lord. Does that make sense? Look what it says in Mark eleven twenty three. I assure you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. Let me hear you say, in his heart but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. So between Zechariah and Zerubbabel and and then this Mark chapter 11, we get these two imagery of a mountain that's in the place. In in the terms of, excuse me, Zerubbabel, there's this giant mountain. He says before him, it's going to become a flat level, excuse me, a flat level plain. means the obstacles are before him. He's able to do away with them. So it's easy to be able to build upon or to travel upon. Then you get into Mark chapter 11. Jesus is saying this. Hey, that mountain, here's how you do it. You declare it. 
right? See that man, you're going to be, it's going to be tossed into the sea. Do not doubt in your heart, but believe what he says will happen. It will be done for him. How do you come into alignment with what God is says, what God says? You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth. You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. Say it with me. I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth. Why does it say in Proverbs, guard your heart above all else? Because the Lord designed you to be able to believe something and confess it, and it would actually have a tangible movement around you. So the enemy knows that as well. Why is he going after the hearts and the minds of our youth? Why, why is it with Gen Z that, he, that he's worked double time and triple time, the last two generations, the millennials and Gen Z, to begin to, to pervert and, and erase away what gender identity looked like and what sexuality looked like? He didn't, dis, listen to this, the enemy did not despise the day of small beginnings. Because up until the millennials, those that identified as LGBTQ, was anywhere from 45 to 6% of the population. You know what it is today? Millennials, anywhere from 11 to 15, and Gen Z is 20, 20 plus percentage. He began to influence the hearts and the minds of a generation, so they came into alignment. There was a new plumb line that was put into the hearts, and therefore, the expression, they actually their life and their behavior lines up with a false expression, but it's still, it's a different plumb line. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? The enemy knows how to play the long game. We have to be able to come back into this place and say, no, I'm going to tear down old walls and I'm going to reestablish the spoken word of God inside of you. The spoken word to people around you has power. And it's not this. How many times have you heard, why don't those Bible thumpers coming around me? And we kind of laugh sometimes. Well, why is it? Because religious people, even if they have good motivations, come and beat the hell out of people with the Bible. Yeah. Well, the Word of God says, you're just going to burn. And there's no love in it whatsoever. Because this is meant to be a seed, not a hammer. I said this is meant to be a seed, not a hammer. So when we try to pound into people's heads... What was only meant to be the seed, you destroy the seed and you destroy the ground that you're trying to plant it in. <laughs> Look, I didn't plan on coming here and talking about sexuality or gender, but the Spirit's on it for a reason. Let's go back to maybe things that you're dealing with. What about shame? What about guilt? What about the voice of condemnation? What about the voice that says, you're never going to be enough? You are not enough. God, the Father's not happy with you. You know what that does in the room? You feel that. I mean, that's, that's what it makes me want to do. Y'all need a visual. Erica was talking about making it fun for kids. You get in front of kids, you, and you, you can't help for kids to start making laughing. We have to get to this place of practicality. But what happens when I come back into alignment and go, wait a minute, no, 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 no. I am enough in Jesus Christ. He does love me. And I might have stepped out of alignment here, but by the Lord, I've been brought back into alignment with him here. This is what's true about me. That might have happened to me, but this is what Jesus has done for me. I begin to make these declarations and bringing it back into, and what are you doing? That mountain, that big thing, that obstacle that looked like it was in front of you, I can never get over that. It, it, it may be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's this burning furnace. Either we, we, we agree and we turn our hearts away from God, or we burn up in a fire. And in that moment, here's the mountain. It gets tossed and picked up and thrown into the sea. It becomes a plain for them to walk upon. Because it's not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of God that it actually takes place. So what does this look like for a born-again believer? Let me give you an illustration. If you're looking at a 2D, a flat topographical map, and you're looking at the Himalayas, you, you can see in it, it might even have numbers on it that says it's 30, 36,000 or whatever it is, feet thousand feet, and it may be this, and you can kind of see it, but if you ran your hand upon that plane, what is it? It's flat. It's 2D. It actually has no ability to stop you. It's a flat plane before you. But when you're in the physical realm, and you're looking at the Himalayas, and the Lord's like, I want you to walk straight through them. You're going like, well, how am I supposed to do that? Here's the difference. If you're a born-again believer, I'm seated with him in heavenly places. 
So as the Father looks down on the earth, what is he looking at? A plane. See it from God's perspective. Don't see a mountain before you that you have to struggle to get over. Change your perspective and look down on it from the perspective of the heart of the Father. And a lie all of a sudden will suddenly become very, very small compared to the truth of the one that you're sitting with. Does that make sense? And so you come into alignment with this perspective. Heaven's perspective always changes everything. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Verse 12, the next day when they came from Bethany, Jesus was hungry. After seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went out to find if there was anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. If you read that incorrectly, you think that Jesus is, is mad at the fig tree because it wasn't the season to produce fruit. That's not what it says. It wasn't the season to pick the fruit. So Jesus, and so he says, verse 14, um, he spoke to the fig tree, may no one ever eat from your fruit again, and his disciples heard it, okay? So more directly, it wasn't the season to pick them. Jesus saw a tree with leaves, which was a sign that it was healthy and should have fruit on it, but in this case, the, it did not have fruit, and this is what religion looks like. It'll have the appearance of godliness, it even has leaves coming off, but the moment you go to pick fruit, there's nothing to pick. It's the same thing with a lie. It might even grow up because it starts as a seed, but once it grows up and you're actually wanting to be able to eat fruit from it, you find out there's nothing to eat but the leaves and the bark itself, which is not going to do you any good. And so Jesus speaks to this thing. He's speaking to the thing that does not produce fruit. Look what it says in verse 20. Early in the morning as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. When Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. Jesus replied to them, have faith in God. Let me hear you say, in God. This is not saying placing your faith in something that's external to you. The Young's literal translation actually says, have the faith of God. How, what type of faith does God have? Pretty sufficient, wouldn't you say? Okay, so he's not saying look external to another thing. No, he's with you. You have the mind of God. Have the same mind that God has, the same faith that God has. Have that faith. Verse 23, and I assure you, if anyone says to this mountain, I'm here, he says, says to this mountain. Again, it's a, it's a declaration. Be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says it will happen. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you all these things, all the things that you pray and ask for, believe that you've received them and you will have them. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you for your wrongdoing. But if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your wrongdoing. What's interesting about that word wrongdoing, it's the only place in Mark that this Greek word is actually used. And it literally means the violation of the law, but I like a different one, stepping over a boundary. Let me hear you say stepping over a boundary. Another part of that definition is departing from the path. And, and so if I go to somebody else's property, I cross over the boundary of a fence, what am I doing? I'm trespassing. And we made this about behavior against God instead of like, no, God's got this path for me. He's got these words for me. He's got this life for me. And what I've done, I've actually stepped out of the path of God that would bring me life. I've stepped from the plain, because God makes his word plain. Hear me? And I've stepped into the path of the mountain with the lie. And I get frustrated when it doesn't move. Well, it's because your eyes are on the mountain and you've stepped out of the plane of God and you've stepped into believing a lie about God or a lie about yourself or whatever the circumstances in that moment. And so what he's talking about is if anyone says to the mountain, be thrown in the sea, have the faith of God. What we're called to do is the same thing with our agreements, with our truth. When I'm looking at this mountain as a lie, I have to understand it actually is only a 2D representation of a real thing. Do you hear what I'm saying? And what, what am I doing? I'm, I'm crumpling up, and I'm saying, no, I'm throwing it into the sea. How many people, when you used to use paper, and you'd write down and draw, and, and my daughters love to draw. And if, and, and if they're doing an art project, and all of a sudden it doesn't quite line or whatever, you, you, what do you do? You crumple up, and you throw it into the, the wastebasket. It's the same thing that you do with these, with these lies. 
Psalm 103, 11 says this, for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Why is that verse important? Because the sins that you committed, the Lord himself has actually saw them as a mountain that Jesus paid for and he picked them up and he threw them to the sea, the sea of forgetfulness. This is why he says this, if you're stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, the condition of your heart could actually prohibit you from stepping into the reality of the truth that you're trying to step into. It says, go and forgive them. If your father has forgiven you, you should also forgive others. If you don't, it says your father in heaven won't forgive your wrongdoing. It's kind of an interesting verse. Does that mean that I can't get into heaven? Can I backslide like that? And what I would tell you is this, why are you worried about that conversation instead going this? What's the path that God's wanting me to walk on? What is he having me walk on? And if it's not a plane, if it's not the Lord's words before me, and there's something that I'm holding in forgiveness against somebody in my heart, I need to come into alignment with what is true about him so that I can release what's true about him to the person that I had a, a, an offense against. And it actually will, it will make a plane before me in that relationship with him. Oftentimes, the reason that we're looking for reconciliation is we're waiting for the other person to come and forgive us. Or we're waiting for uh, them to make the first move. And what I'm telling you is this, you're called to make the first move. It says this, even if you have an, an offense against somebody else because of what they've done to you, you have to go to them. Or if you know somebody has an offense against you, you go to them, but be the one to make the first move. The Lord is wanting to deal with forgiveness in a powerful way this day. Hebrews 8.12, for I will be merciful to their wrongdoing and I will never remember their sins. Micah 7, 18, 19, who is, like, who is a God like you, removing iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. He will again have compassion on us and he will vanquish our iniquities. And here it is, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So here's what I'm wanting to get you to do. Be intentional with your words in your family life. One of the ways that you train yourself in order to be able to continue to walk in holiness is you're intentional in the relationships that you have around you in this place. And so as often as a mountain comes up of offense, immediately you deal with it. You don't harbor it. You don't focus on it. You don't go that. You go immediately to them. You confront the mountain in that place. And you say, this thing is actually separating us in relationship. Why? Because the Lord has forgiven you, but he's also going to give you grace to be able to vanquish the iniquity from having a depth or having an impact in your life. Now let's look at some of the other contexts of our words and our beliefs, because that's about sin. It says, take these and throw them into the sea. What about your words of judgment? What about inner vows? What about the lies that we tell ourselves, the lies that the enemy tells us, or our circumstances? All must be thrown. So we must develop and train our minds, our wills, and our emotions, and even our bodies to come into alignment with the truth of who Jesus is and who God made you to be. We must develop and train our minds, our wills, our emotions, and even our bodies to come into alignment with the truth of who Jesus is and who God made you to be. Jesus is everything the Father said, wanted to say about himself. Did you know that? Jesus is everything the Father wanted to say about himself. But Jesus is also everything the Father wanted to say about you. So, so what's, what's my plumb line? Jesus. The living word became flesh. It's the plumb line. And so if it's not in alignment with the plumb line, it's time to actually toss it into the sea. Even if it sounds good, the knowledge of good and evil is what got Adam and Eve in trouble. And so often we focus on the knowledge of bad, but good is not God, but God is good. If it's not found in God, it could still have the appearance of good, but it doesn't mean it's God. But all of God is good. Does that make sense? Open up the Proverbs chapter 4 and we're going to finish with this. I'm just going to read through this. And I want you to hear how much it's talking about wisdom and words. And there's specific instructions that he gives in this. 
says, listen, my son, to a father's discipline and pay attention that you may gain understanding for I'm giving you good instruction, so don't abandon my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender and precious to my mother, he taught me and said, your heart must hold on to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words of my mouth. Don't abandon wisdom and she will watch over you. Love her and she will guard you. Wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom. Whatever else you get, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. She will place a garland of grace on your head and she will give you a crown of beauty. Verse 10. Listen, my son, and accept my words, and you will live many years. I am teaching you the way of wisdom. I'm guiding you on a straight path. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. When you run, you will not stumble. Hold on to instruction, so don't let go. Guard it, for it is your life. Don't set foot on the path of the wicked. Don't proceed in the way of the evil ones. Let me stop here real quick. This is not about people. This is about thought patterns belief systems, lies. When he's saying this, don't step on the path of a wicked lie that will ensnare you. So the Lord will personify things in his word, just like he personifies wisdom. But if we're not careful, we'll take the wicked or the evil ones and we'll only think about quote unquote people. I'll think about Hitler. I'll think about Putin. I'll think about so-and-so. But that's not what's going to lead you off the path. What's going to lead you off the path? When that lie comes, it's actually wicked. Not that you're wicked. The lie itself is trying to. It says, don't go down that path. Take every single thought captive into obedience. Don't proceed in the way of evil ones. Look what it says, verse 15. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Let me hear you say travel. So this is life. You're traveling on the path of life. Turn away from it and pass it by. For they can't sleep unless they've done what is evil. They are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. This is talking about the thoughts. They're going out there. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. What do we celebrate today? Communion. What is it? The bread and the wine? Your thoughts coming into alignment with the bread of life and the wine of the new covenant, Jesus. Come underneath the influence of this. But what this is doing is personifying if you step into agreement, bread is something that you eat. It's a teaching, right? Man doesn't live by word, bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When you begin to live off the words of lies, it will actually feed you but destroy you. Does that make sense? Verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, shining brighter and brighter until midday. But the way of the wicked is like the darkest gloom. They don't know what makes them stumble. My son, pay attention to my words and listen closely to my sayings. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's body. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Don't let your mouth speak dishonestly. Don't let your lips talk deviously. Let your eyes look forward. Fix your gaze straight ahead. Carefully consider the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Don't turn to the right or to the left, but keep your feet away from evil. If you're born again, say, I am. We'll circle back around. He talked about Zerubbabel and Joshua. If you're going to be a royal priesthood, that means you're powerful. You're not a victim. The number one thing, I believe, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego probably operating is they never made themselves victim to Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel never looked at himself as an orphan or like, this thing happened to me. No, he says, in the middle of this, I know who I am in the Lord in this relationship. He was never a victim. He was always powerful. And what I'm here to tell you today is, is you're not a victim waiting uh, for a crime waiting to happen to you. You're powerful. Say it with me. I am powerful. When it says, don't let your mouth speak dishonestly, you have the ability, free will, a strong will. No, I'm not going to let, I'm not coming in alignment. That lie came in. I don't have to speak that. I don't care if it hurts. I don't care what all is going on. No, I don't have to speak that. That's not denial in terms of like, la, 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 it's not happening. Like the ostrich that puts its head in the sand and the lion just eats it, makes it really easy for it. 
that, that, that's a whole different thing. No, what you're saying is, no, I deny that lie having a place in my heart. I'm guarding my heart above all else. It's the source of my life. And here's what's going to happen is I begin to declare, actually come into agreement with the seed of the word of God that's inside of my heart. If I haven't known it yet, what do I do? I find a word in here and I'm going to repeat it over and over and over again. I'm going to declare it until it becomes a great tree inside of my heart. I come into alignment with what is true. Not by might, not by power, but what by what? The Holy Spirit. So won't you stand up with me? So I just want to lead you through a quick this right where you close your eyes, bow your heads through a quick quick exercise, activation. So just ask the question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Because Holy Spirit, you are the one that leads us into all truth. It's not by our human ability our human strength, our human understanding. It is only by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of righteousness. So right now, we cast down every single thing that is outside the voice of God. We refuse to allow anything other than the voice of God to have influence in our mind, our will, and our emotions, even within our physical bodies, we align ourselves with as it is in heaven right now. So as you're listening to the Holy Spirit, asking this question, Holy Spirit, is there a lie that I've believed about you, myself, or my circumstances? It's okay for him to show you, even if you are, it's all right. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation. Now, I want you to do this. Lord Jesus, I confess that that is a lie and is not true. Your word is my truth. I repent for coming into agreement with a lie. I repent for making any agreements with another voice. But I, in this moment, by an act of my will, come into alignment with who you are, with your truth, and what you say. Holy Spirit, continue to reveal your truth and expose the lies of the enemy so that I might have a plane to walk on. Right there where you're at in your moment, I want you to do this. I want you to picture in your mind a big physical mountain standing in front of you. And this could be anything. The Holy Spirit's going to reveal to you what, what has become a mountain before you. You got it in your mind? Now, I want you to do this. Holy Spirit, I come into alignment with the truth of your word that says I am seated with Jesus in heavenly places. And as you say that, I want you to imagine your mind's eye it turning from a 3D mountain into a topographical, topographical map that you can just pick up in front of you, just in your spirit, activation, which you crumble it up. Notice how light it is, how flimsy it is, and I want you to throw it into the sea. You're actually going to discover that it's biodegradable because it's only toilet paper. I'm serious. The lies of the enemy are nothing but dung.
meant to be flushed. So Holy Spirit, I thank you that you have set me free from all the lies of the enemy. From this day forward, let me be by Zerubbabel, that not by might or my ability, but only by your spirit, I will flatten mountains and establish your kingdom in my life and the world around me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com.